Sunday morning. All right, let's let's break into our lesson then as we've been uh, looking at this section in Matthew uh, 11 through 13, that is uh, the teachings of Jesus. In fact, very soon he's going to get into some parables, but he's setting the table with some important pictures about who he is and what he has come to do. And the, the idea of rest comes into play uh, in this teaching. And, and that is a word that I think we really like. I mean, that is a very positive response when you say, who doesn't want to have some rest? Rest sounds good. I'm going to take a rest. Rest is just a wonderful word. Uh, and it is fascinating to me that Jesus uses that word as he's begun speaking to the people with this invitation that he is giving to them. Now, a little bit of context of where we've come from since uh, we, we had a number of lessons in between our last study of the Gospel of Matthew. You remember at the beginning of Matthew 11 that Jesus talks about how the people's expectations are keeping them from receiving the gospel. That he says, you know, when John came to you, he was out there and he was fasting and he was in the wilderness and you complained about him and didn't receive him. And when the son of man came, he did the opposite. He came eating and drinking and you called him a drunkard and a glutton and you didn't receive him either. And the whole point Jesus was making is it's not us, it's you. We can't satisfy you. It doesn't matter how we come to you. It doesn't matter how we teach it to you. You are not going to receive what we are offering to you. And so he puts the ball uh, ultimately in their court. And now he's going to really lay on that idea in giving a, a judgment proclamation. But then after giving that judgment proclamation, he's going to now give an invitation. And it's a it's a beautiful invitation that Jesus is going to make to the people and ultimately to the world about what he is truly offering. So you're in your Bibles where, where I won't call it a heavenly library. I'd love to steal that, but that's got to stay Phil's. That was great. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, and, and we'll look at verse 20. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20. And then Jesus proceeded to denounce the towns where most of the miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades, for if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Once you notice in this beginning section, you have Jesus essentially asking, so who is going to respond to this invitation that he is making? He's talked about how they have complained about, well, we don't like how you've come to us. And so now he's ultimately challenging them. And you'll notice in verses 22 through 23, he starts listing towns and pronouncing woes upon them. Now, these towns that are listed, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, they are all towns in the region of Galilee. They're all near the Sea of Galilee. And you'll notice that Jesus says something that is absolutely shocking. He says... 
If these miracles that I have performed in Israel, in Galilee, in a place where the people know the word of God and should have been looking for the Messiah had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. Now, here's why that why that's just shocking. First, Tyre and Sidon are Gentiles. They don't have the oracles of God. They're not exposed to the law of Moses like Israel is. They wouldn't have had the hope of the Messiah like Israel and the people of Galilee should have. But when you read the prophets, the prophets speak of Tyre and Sidon as a people who are worthy of condemnation because they are full of arrogance and self-sufficiency. They are spoken of as a people who are in opposition to God and in opposition to God's will. And yet Jesus says, even these who are arrogant and self-sufficient and opposed to God, if they would have seen what I was doing, they would have turned. But here in Galilee, of all places where these things should have caused people to turn, in fact, repentance has not happened. And if that was not strong enough, verses 23 and 24, I think, are jaw-dropping. I mean... Absolutely jaw-dropping. Notice in verse 23, in the middle of that verse, if the miracles that were done in you, that is Capernaum, had been done in Sodom, it would remain to this day. (laughs) I don't know that you could have said that any stronger. If the miracles had been done in Sodom, Remember, Abraham had a whole discussion with the Lord about Sodom. We couldn't find 10 righteous people there. And Jesus says, if I had gone there, they would have repented. It'd still be here. But you, Capernaum, you who are supposed to be the people of God, you who were supposed to be eagerly awaiting the Messiah, You who are supposed to be people of the law, people of the book, people of the word. And I have come to you and you have outright rejected me. It's a stunning proclamation. But I think there's a couple key truths we need to draw from this and and draw an application out of this section before moving into this invitation. And I think this is a, a really important one. You know how many times we will have the tendency to think. If I saw a miracle, that would be a game changer. Oh, I would follow. I would give my life to Jesus. I'd no longer be sitting on the fence. I'd no longer be waffling. My faith would be so strong. I would follow him wherever he goes. If I could have just been there and seen those miracles, oh, I would have been all wrong. Absolutely wrong. We are absolutely fooling ourselves to think that some kind of miracle or some mighty work would automatically generate repentance. And we sometimes have that false notion. Oh, if we just found Noah's Ark. Oh, if we just found the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, if we just... Wouldn't matter. Not one soul would change. Wouldn't matter. Doesn't matter. Totally irrelevant. And this is the proof. Jesus is doing miracles He is going through cities of people who should be righteous and expecting these things, and they're not repenting. 
And we have this tendency to think, oh, miracles would cause repentance. No, they wouldn't. It doesn't cause repentance, nor does it automatically create disciples. Now, if, I, if there's anything I can have you hold in your mind for a few weeks, because Jesus is going to talk about later on in this book, and we're going to get there, why he is not willing to perform signs. People are asking for signs, and he goes, no, I'm not going to do it. Hold this in your mind. Miracles do not generate repentance automatically. And miracles do not cause disciples. And he just proved it right here. Even the Gentiles who are rejectors of God would have listened to this message and seen these miracles and turned. But these in Israel will not. He is speaking to their heart. He is observing the heart problem that exists. I mean, we, we get that. Are, are you, am I the only one who's flabbergasted when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and the Jews go, let's kill Lazarus? <laughs> and you would think, okay, resurrection, game changer, everybody's going to obey, right? No. They're all going to try to kill Lazarus and cover the evidence. <laughs> it's shocking. Because it's a heart problem. It's not a knowledge problem. It's a heart problem. That's what he's been talking about in this chapter. It's a problem of the heart. Here is Jesus going, I've come and I've shown and I've proven myself and you will not accept it. What else can he possibly do? What else can he possibly say? And so these mighty works are not going to create disciples out of them, which is setting up this really important message that leads into the invitation. And that's this. Don't throw away your repentance opportunity. That's the thing that he's getting at. He's going to leave Galilee. This was your chance. I'm going around the Sea of Galilee, town after town, going into synagogues, doing miracles, and people are not responding. They are throwing away their repentance opportunity. And this is such an important picture, such an important idea. Is here is your chance to receive the good news. Here is your chance to get out of slavery to sin. Here is your chance to be free, to enjoy the blessings of God, to belong to the kingdom of God. And they're rejecting it. Here's your wake up call. Don't throw away your repentance moment. And to put this in our terms. Don't take the work that God is doing in your life. Whether that is life changing in a positive way. Or life changing in a hardship, difficulty, suffering, painful way. Don't take what God is doing through that. And throw away your repentance opportunity. God is trying to awaken people and move people to come to him. And so often we can be like these people and go, yeah, I need something more. It needs to be bigger. It needs to be something else. Give me a miracle. It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. Don't fool yourself into saying, oh, I just need a little more. You don't need a little bit more. That's what Jesus is saying right here. I, I showed it to you. The problem is ultimately of the heart. And so don't throw away that repentance moment. 
But I want you to notice this moves Jesus now into a prayer and into an invitation. Notice the prayer in verse 25. It says there in verse 25, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son desires to reveal him. I want you to let Jesus prayer of praise soak in a minute. Notice verse 26. This was God's good pleasure. This is God's will. This is what he determined to do. Well, what did he determine to do? Look at verse 25. I praise you that you've hidden these things. What things? Gospel message. Proclamation of the kingdom. Means of repentance. What is he doing? He's, he's calling people. You have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Ever thought about that? That here God says... It was my plan and my purpose to put the gospel in such a way so that the humble and the insignificant would respond. But people who think much of themselves would not. Isn't that interesting? And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't complain about that he praises that. Lord, that was amazing. Father, that was your good pleasure. That was brilliant. That you made the gospel message be of a sort so that those who are humble would receive it and those who are proud would not. Does that help you understand why when Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount and he goes, you want to know who the blessed people are? First line, poor in spirit. Who don't think much of themselves. Who are not the wise and intelligent who don't think highly of themselves, but those who will humble themselves, those who will listen and receive the message that is that God is going to give. Can I do a quick aside? I think it's an important aside, but it is an aside, but I think it's really important right here. Friends, this is how God predestined people. Can I just lay that out right here? Because sometimes here's how God predestined people. No. Jesus is sad that people are not listening. Jesus has come because he loves the whole world. John three sixteen, Or what Peter says about God is patient and doesn't want any to perish. So how do we have these terms of predestination and things like that in the Bible? Because God determined the kind of heart that was going to be necessary to be able to receive this message. Here's how that was going to work. Who is going to think differently about themselves? Who's going to think differently about God? Who's going to think differently about the world? It's going to take a heart of humility. And God determined ahead of time, this is how it was going to go. That's what Jesus is saying right here. It was God's good purpose to make the gospel be. So that those who would humble themselves and lower themselves and look at life differently, look at themselves differently, look at the world differently and look at God differently, they would receive this message. 
But those who are proud, they're not going to do it. They're not going to listen. God was determining how that was going to play out, how that part would exist, what God was going to do in causing people to enjoy eternal life would boil down to the heart. That's what Jesus is doing right here. Is are, are miracles going to do it? No. No. Well, maybe if you just taught them a little better. No. No. It boils down to a heart. You know, we're going to get real soon here to these parables. And these parables are all going to be about what? Kind of heart. What's the heart that receives the gospel? What's the heart that doesn't? What's the heart that listens? What's the heart that doesn't? He's setting that up right here as saying God had already determined this is how that gospel message was going to go forth. Is that only people who will humble themselves, who will lower themselves, they are the ones who are going to receive it. And that's what ultimately leads to this great invitation that you'll notice in verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Here is Jesus' offer to the world. Everyone who is weary and burdened, come to Jesus. Now, this would be a really dumb question. Who in here is weary and burdened? Right? Two hands. Yes. Weary and burdened. It's the whole idea of the invitation. The whole picture here is everybody's supposed to have a sense of that. Yes, weary and burdened. Do you feel like you are carrying heavy burdens in this life? Yes. Are you wearied by this life? Is this life hard? Is it weighing you down? Yes, yes, and yes. We carry the burdens of life, the pain, the suffering, the guilt, the hurt, the sin, the loss. It's all on our shoulders and we're constantly carrying those things. And with every step, it feels like those burdens are heavier. Have you ever done that in life? I'm sure you have. I have. You think... You have to carry something and you test it real quick. Yeah, that feel, I can carry that. And you carry that about 20 steps. And then all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, that's getting heavier. Uh, I thought I had this. Oh, yeah. They're asking, you got that? Oh, yeah, I got that. Then you got to set it down for a minute, you know, shake your arms out and all. Okay, try, try it again. Because with every step, it gets heavier and it gets harder. And you thought you could carry it. But then you get down the steps there and you go, oh, uh, it's getting really heavy. Jesus is trying to give us that kind of picture here. He's making an offer to us. Because we start off thinking, I can carry all these burdens. I've got it, you know. Yeah, I'm doing fine. And you keep living life long enough and it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And it becomes more awkward and unwielding. Your arms get tired and your shoulders start hurting. And here's the good news of what, what Jesus is saying here. Listen to what he says in verse 28. To those who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Doesn't it seem like rest is elusive sometimes? I want you to notice there is an offer here that 
Rest is available. Rest is even possible. Rest is something that we can get to, but rest does not come through the pursuits of the world. Notice what Jesus is saying. Do you want rest? Are you weary and heavy burdened? Then what you need to do is come to me. If you want rest, we all go, yep. And you feel weary and you're carrying all those weights. Yep. Then what you need to do is come to Jesus. To put that in the reverse, you all know why we lack rest? (laughs) He's telling us. Because sin gives us more burdens, more weight, more guilt, more suffering, more pain, more shame, more hardship, more difficulty. The more we don't listen to Jesus, the harder things get. And I think that is such an important image. Sin enslaves us all the more. You know what Satan says to us? Sin is going to be freeing. Jesus said, no, it's not. You just put another burden on your back. You're just making your life even harder. You're trying to carry another burden. You're already weary and burdened. And please, you have to love Jesus' invitation. Jesus does not say, are you weary and heavy burdened? We all go, yeah. They go, suck it up. Come on, deal with it. Lift with your knees. Come on. He doesn't do that. You know what? He agrees. You are weary and burdened. And you need rest. And I'm the one to give it to you. I'm your man. I'm what I'm, that's what I'm trying to give you. It's what, that, what the invitation is all about. That's what I'm trying to offer you. And notice he explains how to receive the offer. Look at verse 29. Verse 29. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He gives some directions here. He says, take up my yoke and learn from me. Notice right here, everybody has to make a decision. You have to take his yoke. It's a decision right there. Do you want rest? Yes. Are you weary and burdened? Yes. Then you need to take my yoke. Now, we're resistant to the yoke idea. Doesn't sound good, right? Immediately like, Uh, yoke Mm. yoke is a picture of submission right that's the image that's what you put it on an animal to be able to direct it where it's supposed to go and I want you to notice that is the picture that Jesus is giving there in verse 29 notice it says there in verse 29 take up my yoke and learn from me here's what you're going to do if you want rest You have to listen to Jesus and learn from him. That's what the yoke looks like. That's it. If you want the rest, if you feel burdened by life, weighed down by sin, guilt, shame, pain, suffering, loss. Here's what you have to do. Listen and learn from him. That's what he's offering. Will you listen to me and will you Learn from me. 
All right, well, let's just say the jury's out. I don't know. Should we? He gives you the reasons why. Look at verse 29 again. Why should we listen to you, Jesus? Why should we learn from you? One, because I'm gentle and humble. First reason he gives. You all know why you should listen to me. You all know why you should learn from me. He says, because I'm gentle and humble. Put it this way. Jesus is not going to hurt you. He's not going to run you into the ground. He's not a vicious taskmaster. He's going to put you in the dust and trample you over. He's not going to wear you out. He knows you're weary and burdened. You can trust him with your life. He's gentle. Do you think of Jesus that way? Is that your vision of God? I hope it is. I hope your view of God is not one of harshness. I hope it's a vision of gentleness, humility, compassion. Why should you listen and learn? He says, because you can trust me. You can give your life to me. You'll be okay. I'm gentle. Second reason, verse 29. It's the only way to find rest. There's no other option. End of verse 29. And you will find rest for your souls. You're weary and burdened. And be honest with yourself. You've tried everything in life to find rest in everything else, right? Hobbies. Stuff, possessions, things, job, family, whatever. We, we throw it all in the box. Doesn't provide rest. Momentary vapor. Cotton candy. If you can remember that one way on back. Quick taste vaporizes. Come to me and learn from me. One, it's going to be okay. I'm gentle. Two, it's the only way to get rest. This is the rest that you are looking for. And I think it is really interesting, verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's let's grapple with this for a minute. Jesus just said he'll make your life easier. Now, does that bother you for a second? Because Jesus went around telling everybody, Take up a cross and follow me. Or the way to eternal life is narrow and the path is hard. So Jesus, how are you coming along and saying, my yoke is easy. Trade out the world yoke. Put on mine. Get rid of that harsh one. Mine's gentle. Mine gives you rest. Mine's going to make your life better. Mine's going to make your life easier. It's light. It's easy. What is he getting at with that? One, I think, is is certainly clear to give us a, a visual to our minds that the yoke of the world is the harsh burden. We have to see that. We have to have that visual. What the world offers to us is not gentle and not easy. It claims it. It pretends it. But it only adds the weight and the burdens. It's just more stuff carrying down the stairs. Jesus is trying to give us a picture that this is going to be easier. 
Now let me try to ex- explain that for a minute. When you're going somewhere that you've never been before, why do you like to use a GPS? Or back in the day, a map? You, you always would go somewhere new with directions. Why? Because to try to go somewhere not knowing how to get there is absolutely stressful and painful. Your likelihood of reaching your destination if you have no idea where you're going is a zero. Let me prove that to you. Without GPS, without map, and without asking directions, I would like you to travel to my childhood home in San Diego. We'd like for you to get in your car right now. The old address is 14510 Miguel Lane in El Cajon. No GPS, no map, no directions. Can't ask anybody, go. Why are you laughing? Go for it. You'll be there in no time, right? You're probably going to hit I-10, go west, and then go, I don't know. <laughs> right? It's about as much direction as I've got. I know i got to get that away. Maybe I'll get lucky and 10 will run me into a San Diego sign. <clears throat> it won't. It'll take you to L.A. You better know to switch off and get on the 8. <laughs> you're going to end up where you didn't think. Why is it too hard? It's too many options, too many roads, too many turns, too many choices. And let me really zero in on something on, on this for a minute. Your feelings aren't going to get you there. You following your heart is not going to get you to that address. Your sense of direction, your intuition is not going to land you at 14510 Miguel Lane. You need a GPS. You need a map. You need directions. Now, if I give you a map and directions and say, go to that address. Is that going to be a long trip? Yeah. Especially as soon as you get west of San Antonio. Sorry. I-10's boring. You think you never get out of Texas. All day Texas, just that part itself. It's long. It's hard. It's boring. It's dirt. There's nothing. It's, uh. But does the map, does the GPS make it easier to get there? This is the essence of what Jesus is trying to drive at with us. I know the way to rest. I know the way to the Father. I know the way to eternity. I have the directions. I've taken the trip. And I could do that with you. I've driven that path. I can tell you what to look for. I can tell you, when you start getting toward Tucson, you got to be on an 8 and not on the 10. You stay on the 10, LA you go. You got to stay on the 8. 
And I know it's going to look like you're in the middle of nowhere. It's okay. Don't worry about all those radiator signs that say overheating. Go through that desert, over the mountains. It'll get beautiful once you cross the desert. Get over to the other side. Keep going. When you pass the pizza place, you're getting really close. Turn right, up the hill, turn left. It's at the end of the cul-de-sac on the right side. Feel better about the trip now. Got it. Know what to look for. Got all my directions. Yeah, it's going to be long. But I know how to get there. That's what Jesus is doing right here. Jesus is trying to communicate this message. I know the way. Here are the directions. Here's what you need. Here's how to get to rest. Here's what it's going to take. And this is why it's easier. I'm not saying it won't be long. I'm not saying it won't have difficulty along the way. I'm not saying it won't be 130 in Death Valley when you go across. I'm not saying that there won't be some trials along the way. But it's easier than going by yourself without the directions. My yoke is easy. I'm showing you how to go. I'm trying to give you the directions you need. But here's what we want to do. Got the directions. And then I go my own way. Right? We like to argue with GPSs. The thing doesn't know where it's going. I know where I'm going. I can get there. I bet I would have done that on that trip. Put that in the GPS. One, five, five, four, four. Ah, I know a better way to get there. You have to listen to the directions. And you have to follow them. If you're going to obtain the rest that Jesus wants you to have. To put this another way, you see what Jesus is saying to us? Our burdens are because we don't listen. We plug Jesus into the GPS and then we just start going over here and over there and over there. And we're off the road and we're crashing everywhere. I just don't understand what's going on. You know, I'm trying to follow Jesus and things are just a mess. Just double check. Are you listening and learning from him? Are you listening to what he says? Are you doing what he's telling you to do? Are you following the directions? Have you ever had that with somebody? You gave them directions and they got lost and you're like, did you follow the directions? I said the second stop sign. You went to the third. That's why you're lost. That's why you're confused. You have to listen explicitly to the directions. Don't follow your think-sos. Don't follow your feelings. Don't follow your intuition. Don't just go by what you see. Don't go by what you think. Just follow the directions. Listen and learn. And you'll have eternal life. Remember that Jesus said earlier, I praise you, Lord, because this path, this way is hidden from those who are wise and intelligent in their own eyes. How come they don't make the destination? Because they think they got it figured out. I don't need directions. I don't need GPS. I got this. Off they go off the cliff. The reason why 
the poor in spirit and the humble are the ones who will receive the gospel and receive rest. It's because they're willing to listen and learn. They're willing to follow the directions. They will not trust in their own ways. They will not trust in their own heart, but rather listen to exactly what Jesus has to offer and follow it. So three things. Don't throw away your repentance opportunity. This is your moment. Are you going to listen to what Jesus is telling you? Are you going to listen to what he has for you? He's trying to point you in the right way, but don't throw away that repentance opportunity. And you don't need a miracle. That's not, you don't need another sign. God's given you all the directions you need. He's given you everything for life and godliness. He's given you everything so that you can find rest. You can put your trust in him, but you have to listen and learn. What a beautiful thought that Jesus gives here. I've given you the roadmap, the GPS, so that you can go home and have rest. The map is right here in your hands. Do you want to go home? And do you want to have rest? Then you got to follow the directions. Come to him. All of you who are weary and burdened, you will find rest. Listen to him and learn from him. Because his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. And without his directions, the road is way too hard. The path is way too difficult. And your journey will end in ultimate destruction. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son that came to this world and pioneered the trail for us. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his teaching. Thank you for his example. Thank you for him living a life that we can follow so that we know the way. What a wonderful hope that that gives to us. Thank you for these directions, Lord. And Lord, we are weary and we are burdened. Lord, we are weary and burdened from sin, from the weights of the world, from just the cares of life and the hardships that we go through and trials, Lord, we pray for rest. But Lord, we know that rest is only in you. So Lord, forgive us for the myriads of times that we've gone off the road and decided not to follow your ways and your directions. And Lord, I pray that as you forgive us, that you will set us back on that path with renewed hearts, with clean consciences, with great zeal to follow you and to listen to what you have to say. Lord, we long for rest. We long for eternity. And we thank you that we can follow you all the way home. And thank you for being a savior that is gentle, that is humble, and that is compassionate, that will give us what we need so that we can make it all the way home. Thank you, Lord, for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Our invitation to you is to come to Jesus today to get on that road and enjoy what is being offered to you to rest. That is exactly what your soul is looking for. Turn away from sin. Get rid of those burdens. Stop carrying them. They're just making you fall down. It's making you more and more tired. 
Get rid of those, come to Jesus, get rid of the guilt, the shame, the weight. All of that can be taken care of through the blood of his son. Would you come to him today, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? We'd love to do that for you today. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?